So if uh, you're joining us, we are working our way through the book of Galatians, and um, we're going to be exploring chapter 2 this morning. And uh, if you are part of Bay Vineyard, it would just be awesome if you could uh, be working your way through this book. And um, uh, if you would like uh, to know which commentaries I use and would recommend, I'd be more than happy to um, fire them your way, um, because we skim along the surface. We're talking about... 1% 1% maybe less of what's really going on. And there's so much backstory and so much context and so much stuff happening in the language. It's so cool. Uh, so if you want to get really excited about some of this stuff uh, at a way deeper level, um, then feel free to let me, yeah, let me know and we can go there. Um, last week we began uh, the book of Galatians. We worked through chapter 1. And if there's one word we'd use to describe what we engage with there, it would be the word gospel. Uh, we uh, had a good look at what it means uh, to uh, really understand the scandalous nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of grace. And, uh, and then uh, in chapter 2, we're going to uh, see this primary thing continue to, to be unpacked, but also things get a little spicy in chapter 2, and uh, so we're going to enjoy that. But let's, uh, let's work our way through the text here. If you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to uh, follow because the... Um, because uh, the, I realise the text is quite small as I stuck it up there uh, earlier today. So anyway, good luck with that. If, you're good, if you've got good eyesight, there we go. And if you don't, uh, then please pull out your phone and, uh, and follow along. Chapter 2 from the book of Galatians. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. This is Paul speaking, obviously. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved uh, for you. So you remember from last week, like there's just, there's been these folks that have been coming along as Paul has been sharing the gospel and undermining both uh, the message, saying, no, you can't just, you're not just justified with Jesus by uh, receiving him by faith and receiving his grace. No, 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 no. You've got to do these other extra things that are part of, uh, of Judaism, uh, which includes for the boys having the old snip snip and uh, for, for everyone to have this kind of uh, really taking seriously the law of Moses, the Torah. And, uh, and obviously um, Paul pushes back hard on that. He says, no, it's grace alone. It's only by grace that we're saved. It's a gift of grace. So he goes, and you'll notice this is 14. He's talking about what happened. He says, after 14 years, he goes to Jerusalem to meet up with the people leading the church at the time. And he brings with him two people, Barnabas. And we know from, the, uh, from other passages that Barnabas is this lovely guy who's super encouraging. Aren't they great people to hang out with Barnabases? You know, just super encouraging. You're doing great, mate. Good on you. Awesome. Oh, that's amazing what you're doing there. Super encouraging. And Titus, who's like a son to Paul, um, who's kind of like exhibit, exhibit A of a Gentile Christian. And uh, two kind of major themes get introduced. They really dominate the, the rest of the book of Galatians. Freedom and truth. 
You'll notice there it says that these people came to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ. But he's like, the truth of the gospel is going to be preserved. It might be preserved. And those two things are connected, truth and freedom. Um, uh, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth sets us free. And, uh, and on so many levels, I was, you know, I've been thinking about all of these different verses and concepts. But uh, it's been interesting in my own life, as I've got older, the truth about who I am has become a lot clearer. Uh, and the truth has set me free because there's certain things I'm not good at doing. And it's like, you know, I see Matt up there in the team leading worship and it's like, I had dreams, some of you know this, I had dreams to be a famous worship leader. And it's like, the truth is my voice isn't that good. Now that's not false modesty, that's the truth. And what does the truth do? Sets me free. I don't have to be somebody else. I don't have to live in a false reality where I'm singing and everyone's like, ooh, but I'm like, everyone loves my voice. It's quite special. Like that's all kinds of, does this make sense? The truth sets us free. And so when Jesus starts coming and speaking truth to your life about who you are, about who you are in Him, about how He's wired you, how much He delights in you, it's Freedom Conference time, friends. It's Freedom Conference. Like that's, that's the reality. It's who I am. This is, so, uh, so then what happens is that uh, there's these false believers that come in and, uh, and they start challenging Paul. And he says, they came and infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ. And, uh, and you can feel this, uh, you know, sometimes you hang out with people and it's like, oh man, like there's this pressure to be somebody I'm not, or there's this kind of subtle thing going on here that's kind of like, like peer pressure exists, right? And it's not just when you're in high school. Like peer pressure is alive and well at every stage of our lives. And the interesting thing as you journey with Jesus is that He will set you free more and more and more. But you know, um, there's legalistic people cannot bear to leave liberated people alone. Ah, who's experienced this? Legalistic people cannot bear to live liberated people alone. Um, and so uh, there are times where it's like you just you feel the sense of expectation or pressure uh, from religious folk. Uh, and it's like, man, I don't want to come under this. Um, there have been times where good, sincere, sometimes Christian leaders have said things about giving or God's judgment or um, citing some Old Testament laws and or even things like laying down expectations about what clothes the pastor should wear and about whether a cap is appropriate to wear in church um, or whatever it may be. And, uh, and you just feel this thing of like down in your gut, you're like, it doesn't feel right. Like it just feels a bit, like it feels heavy. It's, uh, and there's been... been uh, a lot of times where, um, where I'm just like, no, I'm not coming under that. I'm not coming under that. I'm, I'm, I'm free. And if this freedom makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, then I can't, I, I'm, I'm not going to come under slavery again. Because here's the reality, right? Um, uh, you're either free in Christ or a slave to something. You're either free in Christ or you're a slave to something. Um, and... Paul's pushing this constantly. What has caused you to give up the freedom purchased by the power of the cross? There are times you cannot back down. 
There are times where you're like, no, this is home. Now, whenever I've felt those sort of vibes, nine times out of 10, I haven't said anything. This is where, like, again, Facebook friends, not the place, just full stop. But, you know, I can't have my occasion. I can think of, like, maybe once or twice in the last, like, I don't know, a couple of years where I'm like, I'm just reading something and I'm like, oh, I've got to say something now. I just think that's a little bit odd, you know. But I'm just like, it's just not, relationships are the place to have those sort of conversations, right? But it's like, most of the time, you just like, no, I'm not coming under this. I'm, I'm going to continue to walk in the freedom. And so Paul, he's like, oh, we didn't give in to this for a second. In the midst of this pressure that was going on to conform to, to a certain type of behavior that is just not what the gospel's about, I was just like, I'm not coming under that. Um, Beth Moore said this amazing thing as I've been preparing for this. She, her stuff on Galatians is some of the best. She says, no one can know the truth for you. Right? No one can know the, no one can know the truth for you. Um, so like you can, I can teach truth, but that doesn't mean you know the truth. I can, like me and Jen are going to do our best with our kids to teach them the truth, but I can't make them know the truth. I can't make them know that. I can help bring hopefully river, but only, so this is where the journey that we're on with Christ is coming to this, like here is the truth of the gospel. Here's the truth of who I am in Christ and walking in it. And when pressures come and different theological views come and all sorts of stuff that you've got a strong spine that says, no, this is who I am in Christ. And so it's a journey that all of us will take. Uh, and, and this is where what's helpful, what's really helpful is getting into this book, is getting into Galatians or Romans or what, and, and really coming to this strong conviction about who you are in Christ. You're not going to get free because of what someone else knows. You're not going to get free because you're going to get free because you've done the work of discovering the scandalous truth of the gospel for yourself and then living it and basking in it and receiving it and allowing it to heal you and set you free. Uh, this is what Jesus loves to do. You know, the word for salvation in the Greek literally means a wide open space. Like, this is so beautiful. If you're following Jesus properly, this is an interesting thing to say. But if you, here's what it will feel like year after year. You'll feel more and more free. More and more free because you're like, I know who I am and who I'm not. Freedom. I know that all that worst bits of me has been forgiven by the cross so it doesn't have to torment my memories anymore. Freedom. I know because of my freedom, it's not about trying to become somebody in the scene that I'm in. It's about humbly serving in love. I'm free. I'm like Steve Graham was saying at camp, humbly free to, to serve in love. Like that, it's so beautiful. And honestly, it's been my experience and it's the best feeling ever where you're like, you keep walking with Jesus and it's like wide open space. Salvation's a wide open space where you can discover. Psalm 18 verse 19 says, he brought me in out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's good news. Let's keep moving. We've got heaps to get through. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. <laughs> Paul's got a very interesting relationship with leadership. Like he's, he's got this humility and submission to leadership, but he correctly is like, there's no favorites. Like just because I'm pastor of Bay Vineyard does not make me more special than anyone else in this room. Full stop. Hallelujah, right? So Paul's kind of got this good thing of healthy respect, but, but not kind of like veneering or worshipping or making a big deal. Um, on the, uh, 
They added nothing to my message. Again, so Paul's trying to say, here's the gospel uh, that he presented them. He didn't add anything. On the, con- on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. I know there's a lot of talk about circumcision in, um, in this book, and I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Just it's, um, uh, it's just all kinds of awkward, especially if you're new to church. It's like, wow. A lot of talk about the old schnip schnip going on there. Um, wait till you get into the Old Testament, and whoever has to preach chapter three next week, enjoy, because uh, that's a big deal. Um, but here's, here's what's beautiful. Again, whenever they talk about circumcised and uncircumcised, all they're talking about is Jewish people and anyone that's not Jewish or Gentiles, okay? Um, and so these guys, the, the leaders of the church recognize uh, that, uh, that the gospel has been preached and that there's nothing to change there. But there's this lovely line in there as well where they recognize this grace on Paul to share the good news to the Gentiles. You know that every single one of you, there is a grace on your life. To, to reach people and love people. And it's different for everyone. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that rich? Isn't that, inc- isn't that beautiful? And um, sometimes the danger as we begin our journey with Jesus is we get so fired up about who we're called to reach that we're annoyed at anyone else that doesn't have that same grace on their life. It's like, I'm called to reach youth. And it's like the youth of the, oh, this will be Luke, right? So it's like the youth of the most important thing in our nation right now. And, and it's 100% true. But it's like, but then you talk to, to Jen or to Sam or to Andre or to Bruce, and it's like there's a different grace. And it's like, and all of it's, like the beauty of, of God's body, where there's a grace. And again, you know, there's the freedom that comes when you're discovered where you're graced. Because I could spend all of my time trying to reach people because I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. And I'm trying to reach youth. Like I used to do stuff at youth camps and the rest of it. And it's like, and it's like I'm, just, I'm just not in my sweet, sweet spot. I, I did some... I've preached to all the, all the major Easter camps in New Zealand. So, you know, thousands, the, the biggest youth events in New Zealand. And like, I'm just, I am not in my sweet spot, I've discovered. I'm freaked out because they're so weird. I don't know how you do it, Luke. They're just, I just don't get, like, they're just bizarre. I've literally got a photo. I should have put it on the thing. I've got, I'll send you, I'll put it on our private Facebook thing. I've got a photo minutes before I'm about to walk onto the stage at Easter Camp, Easter Camp down south, and it's a man terrified for his life. There's very little blood up here. I'm just white and freaking out about what I've got to do. You put me in another context like this, and man, I'm graced. There's just a grace. I'm not nervous. I'm just loving life. I'm in my lane. And it's like there's a grace, and every single one of you have a grace, and the Joy is discovering the grace of God on your life. And these guys could recognize that in each other. Paul, you are grace to reach people that we are not. Awesome, good on you. And we've got this grace to reach Jewish people. And on it goes. It's so, so beautiful. We're united in Jesus. There's the same message, but a different grace. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, whenever we see the word Cephas, you've got to remember this is Peter, the apostle Peter, okay? He calls him Cephas at times. And John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They all agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. Okay, so there's a lovely gathering going on. Now, 
this next bit, this next bit of the of the chapter, get ready for ready for some awkward. Um, so remember again, Peter. So we're going to talk about Peter in a second and a little altercation that Peter and Paul have. But this is the Apostle Peter. Peter, who's the first one that confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that Jesus says, on this revelation, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He's the one who denies Christ and is reinstated. He's the one who's filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And he's the one preaching the very first message of the church where 3,000 people are added. He's a big deal, okay? Ready? Here we go. Awkward emoji even there. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he, he challenges them. I love, there's a whole lot of here. John Stott, that isn't John Stott. Uh, that's um, from the US office. But um, this, is, this is without a doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Here are the two leading apostles of Jesus Christ face to face in complete and open conflict. Oh, this is so good. Oh, oh, this is so interesting, right? Here we go. So a couple of things. There's, uh, there's some stuff going on here. A reminder, it was, so Paul is writing this 14 years after the event. Really important to note, this is not Paul all in a huff because he's just come from the meeting and he's venting, okay? This isn't the vent. This is 14 years later. I don't care how bad you are at managing your emotions, after 14 years, whatever it was that really annoyed you then, you would have chilled out about. So why the heck is it in here, right? Why is it here? Let's, we need some scholars to help us. Thank goodness for New Testament scholars. Hello, N.T. Wright. Help us out. Here we go. So this is what, so it is likely that the troublemakers in Galatia had already told the new converts there that Paul and Peter had had an argument in Antioch. You can read all about this, by the way, in Acts 15. If you get bored in a nice sermon, feel free to have a, have a scan there. It's all there in black and white. There's two versions of the whole thing. It's, it's the, you know. So it's a big deal. Uh, and so they had this argument in Antioch over whether Gentile Christians were really full members of the family. And they may have heard a version. So these people from Galatia may have heard a version of the story in which Peter had the strongest arguments. And the story told this way was, power, was a powerful reinforcement for their own case to the puzzled Galatians. Because remember, there's these guys that have gone to Galatia and they're trying to distort the gospel and saying you've got to do these extra things, right? So they'll say, there you see, they would say, Paul hadn't told you the whole story. Peter was, after all, Jesus' right-hand man. He knew that you couldn't belong to the true Israel without becoming a full Jew. He drew the line at table fellowship with uncircumcised Gentiles. So, uh, so Paul is having to clear up to the, Gentile, to the people in Galatia, hey, this is actually what's happened here. And so uh, Paul had challenged Peter because Peter has had 
if you read, if you know the story, this incredible revelation, which you can read about in Acts 10, where God reveals to Peter in a vision that the gospel was for the Gentiles and that all the laws about food and all these things that separated them were no longer barriers. The cross had brought them down so they could go and eat with whoever they wanted. They wouldn't be unclean anymore because of what Jesus had done on the cross. And so Peter had done this. Peter had, had uh, just got used to this freedom in Christ, which is hard for us to understand. I'm like, how full on is that? Like back in the day, the Jewish people couldn't even eat with people that weren't Jewish because they'd become ceremonially unclean and all that. Heavy. It's very hard for us to understand that now, but it was a big deal back then. And so Peter had operated in that freedom and lived in all of that. But then peer pressure turned up. Hello, everyone. Peer pressure again, where these people came from, James, and they started to intimidate him. Some people are a bit scary, right? Everyone's got people where you feel a little bit intimidated. And Peter wasn't an exception there for all this bravado and stuff. Some people had turned up. And sometimes we can dread the social backlash if we don't go along with what they're saying. Sometimes we can feel this intimidation. Um, and some people are really intimidating. And so Paul, in his humanity and in his vulnerability, was intimidated. It says in the text, um, let's go back a couple. It says in the text here, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, he began to draw back. There was fear for him. He felt he was afraid of, uh, of what they were saying. And uh, you, will, you will encounter this. Um, you know, if you came to faith hypothetically, in your late 20s. Then in your twi early 20s, um, you'll have a whole group of friends that know you a certain way. And if you go and hang out with those people from your early 20s, uh, and, uh, and they haven't seen you for many years, they will expect you to act like you did in your early 20s if they haven't come to faith. But if you have come to faith, you're going to have to resist the peer pressures that's going to come around, this is how we always act, Right? We're going to face this, if you walk into a boardroom and there's all sorts of expectations around how the ethics of our country or our company or there's some corners that we cry, you're going to feel pressure. But again, this is, this is normal. This is what, and so for Peter, he was under that sort of pressure and, he, and so Paul had to challenge him. He's like, mate, no, there's too much at stake here. Um, there's a huge amount at stake because if, if this is the line, then at the end of the day, we may be all saved uh, in Jesus, but there's going to be two tables, one for Jewish people and one for new Jewish. There's not going to be one new humanity. It's, uh, and so I love this. Um, Scott McKnight says, I ask about this passage, if it is not po about this passage, sorry, if it is not possible to read this with tears in Paul's eyes and a thankful but repentant response on the part of Peter. We do know that Peter did not ultimately part company with Paul. This tense situation may have been an important growing experience for both apostles. I think that's, there's a lot of truth there. I think that, but out of this, there's a couple of things that I think are really interesting. This whole incident's in the Bible, and it's not the only one where community gets super messy. And there's two things I want to draw your attention to. Firstly, community and church community is messy. And disagreements uh, and, and conflict and argy-bargy all happen as part of a normal community. And I think sometimes we can have an idealism about the church uh, in terms of what the community should be like. 
Uh, in our previous church in Christchurch, uh, there was this one epic moment uh, that happened on a Sunday that's really cool. So we had like this guy that was in our church who had only been with us for two or three weeks and had recently come out of prison uh, and knew like baby Christian, as in like total baby Christian. And unbeknownst to me, another guy had turned up to our church who had also just come out of prison. Now they didn't know each other. And he's like nervous. He turned up to the church for the first time since he got uh, done his leg. And he's standing at the back. And next to him is this other guy who's like just been with us two or three weeks. And we passed the offering plate around. And the guy passed the offering plate to him, the basket. And then looked at him and was like, you know, you should put something in there. And then like the, the guy just like biffed it, walked out into the foyer and just starts ranting and raving and screaming at one of our ush, poor ushers. <laughs> so like I'm in the break and I see, see this thing going on. So I go out to the foyer and I'm like, what's going on? Like, like bro, what's going on? It's like, bro, you got to sort out your congregation. Like, that's so rude, man. My first Sunday here and you guys are telling, give me the look like I've got to put something in the offering basket. Like, man, I thought you guys were meant to be nice. I thought they were meant to be all the, what the heck's this, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, bro, chill out, man. Like, firstly, this guy's just got out of prison as well. He's only, like, literally, he's only been with a couple of weeks. He is not a veteran Christian. Yes, for my veteran Christians, I would expect a little bit more gentleness and grace. But for this guy, bro, you've got to remember, like, we're a messy community filled with sinners, and he's one of them. <laughs> And it's like banging balls and stuff. And it's like his expectation was he would walk into the church community and it would be filled with saints that would love him unconditionally. Guess what? I'm sorry. There's only one perfect one. And his name is Jesus. This is a messy community. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this amazing um, book called Life Together about the beauty and the richness of Christian community and how central it is to our formation. But, but again, get your binoculars out. But he said this. He says, innumerable times, a whole community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try and realise it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Such, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves." Right? There's expectations we have on all. And it's like we've got to break down the disillusionment of the expectations we have on others and on Christian community and if we're fortunate and wise of ourselves. Right? That's the last one to go normally. We've got all these high expectations about everyone else. But then the expectations for ourselves are like real low, real gentle. Like, oh, no, judge me on my heart, not on my actions, please. But you, I'm going to judge you on your actions. Okay, cool. <laughs> the sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community. It must be banished if genuine community is to survive. Listen to this. This is, I mean, tweet this. This is mic drop moment. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself 
becomes a destroyer of the later, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Right? He who loves the dream of what it should be more than the reality of what it is actually is will destroy the actual community because no one can live up to that dream. This is a messy, broken community and the Bible's filled with the reality of messy, broken people having awkward arguments and confrontations and it's written in black and white in this very book. Hallelujah. This is not a book of fantasy. This is not a, a book uh, that, that is just like filled with, um, with idealism, but it is actually, a, a, it is a, a, it's the reality. And here's, the, here's what's so cool. And when you get this as a follower of Jesus, you love the church and you love Christian community more than ever. Uh, it's the imperfection of Christian community that is the very gift itself. That's the gift. That's what makes us a community of grace. That's what makes us, that, that gives us the opportunity to genuinely love selflessly. Like the gift of Christian community is that in this environment, we can truly learn to serve without an agenda, to love in such a way that it's not for personal gain. And we can truly discover the beauty of the gospel in the context of messy community. You've got to learn to live out the Sermon on the Mount in this sort of place. Loving your enemies even, blessing those that hurt you, praying for those. You know, that oh, this, is the, this is where we're formed uh, into Christ-likeness. But the second thing that, that I want to point out, who's feeling really <laughs> discouraged this morning? Hallelujah. Well, again, the truth sets us free. It's just so true. And can I just say, as a part, I've deleted most of the really salty emails I've got, but I wish I kept some of them. Um, not from any recent history, but just they'll be great examples from like, you know, a long time ago of some of the stuff that's been said to me. And honestly, pastors make all sorts of mistakes. We're very human, very human. Um, but, but here's my argument if, um, if people treating you a bit nasty is a reason to leave the church, then there would be no pastors in the world, full stop. Just as. And, and like you, you, people, you know, and I've let people down and disappointed people and said things I shouldn't have said, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm grateful for all the ups. And, and people said lots of things to me that have been undeserved. I'm great. You know, I've come to this point of gratitude for it all. It's helped me learn to love. It's helped me learn to forgive. It's helped me live, learn to live in freedom. I can be in freedom. It's beautiful. Um, the second thing that's quite interesting in this uh, little altercation is that I think it's a lesson for us to be clear about the hills that we're prepared to die on. What is worth challenging? I've seen countless times in Christian community where the enemies got in and brought enormous division and pain over really actually insignificant issues. Um, and I've got caught up in some of the stuff myself when I reflect over the last uh, 18 years of ministry. Where I've got a real head of steam about something. And, I'm all fired. and then I wake up and a couple of days later, I'm like, what the heck was that about? Like, that was a mental storm. That was a, that was a storm in my mental teacup that is just totally disproportionate. And honestly, the enemy loves getting in and escalating things up here. And that's where it's really wise not to like act or email or text or whatever or ring in the first little while. It's like actually um, it's uh, not acting off our first reactions is a good idea. Trust me, I've learned from personal experience as a person who's by nature quite passionate. Uh, I've learned, well, times you've got to chill out. But there are times we do need to speak up. And, uh, and even though this seems a quite a um, confronting episode in this passage, 
Um, I, I still think the biblical principles of you treat others the way you would want to be treated and to do it gently uh, is, um, is really nice. In this case, the stakes were really big. On one side of this dispute, we have Paul saying the gospel of faith in Christ is for people of all cultures. And on the other side, we have his opponents claiming not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. So Paul brings us up uh, to reinforce the beauty of the Gospels and to make sure that the Galatians know what had, uh, he, he has really experienced. But then he moves on, thank goodness, uh, to once more explain the glory of the Gospel, the good, the great news. And he wants to drive this home. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So this is that word justify, just, uh, justify, which gets used a whole lot here. Eugene Peterson in his commentary on this says, justification means being put together the way we are supposed to be, made right, not improved, not decorated, not veneered, not patched up, but justified. Listen, our fundamental being is set in right relationship with God. That's what it means to be justified. Our fundamental being is made right with God. This is awesome. This, we're going to unpack this a little bit more next week, but uh, and it also taps into what he was saying last week. But uh, let's keep going. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So what Paul's saying here is, does the scandalous grace of God promote sin? Because as far as the Jewish worldview went, if you sat down with Jewish people, you uh, were sinning. Uh, but also we can ask that question. If what you said last week is true, Harvey, what's stopping me living completely scandalous, destructive mental life, doing all sorts of naughty, fun things because I can just come to the table and receive the grace of God, right? I mean, that's literally what Paul's having to wrestle with here. And, and like people are, the, the gospel of grace is so scandalous that if you tease it out, you could go there. Uh, and so Paul's saying, no, it doesn't promote sin because sin leads to captivity. Sin leads to enslavement. Sin leads to addiction. Sin leads to a world of pain. And then it's like you're not free anymore. So that, that's not the case. So here comes the knockout punch for this first chapter. Oh, no, don't run ahead, Harvey. Here we go. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So here's my, my closing thing. And this is, I'm very proud of this diagram. Um, I spent, it's, a, it's a Harvey original, and I spent um, a disproportionate amount of time on it. Uh, I even sketched it out on a blank piece of paper first to really get warmed up. And so this is crucial theology that I want to drill home. Here is what Paul is thinking when he's taught, like this is it's saturated in all the epistles. This is our Christian worldview when it comes to the gospel and the grace of God and all the rest of it. So the first thing is this, I've been justified. So that, as I just said, we've been made right with God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Or Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? You are completely right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Completely made right with God. That's the gospel. That's good news. It's unreal. It's epic, okay? Um, so then we go on this process of being sanctified. Now there's so many scriptures here, but um, in Galatians 5 we'll see, well, you know, we learn to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. One of my favorite passages on, on uh, the sanctification journey is Philippians 3.16. So now let us live up to what we have already attained. Now what that means is let's become who we already are. So you've been, been declared holy because of what God has done on the cross. So now learn to be a holy person. You've learned, you have the peace of Christ because of what God has done on the cross. Now learn to live in the peace of Christ. Sanctification. Now there's buckets of grace on this journey. There's just, it's dripping with grace because do, do we uh, nail it? No, we don't. It's the lifelong journey. We make mistakes all the time. I love that. Again, we do communion every week because the pastor needs it. We come to the table and it's grace upon grace upon grace. But in the meantime, we have a God who's for us, who's like, you. I, I want you to walk uh, into life in all of its fullness. That's God's desire for every single person. And so it could be even seen like this. We've got uh, Easter Friday, you've been justified. Easter Saturday, we learn to be sanctified. And Easter Sunday, we learn, we're glorified. Uh, but so often many Christians just live in almost the sense of, of limbo where it's like, I've been forgiven, but where's the life? Where's that rich, flourishing life that I long to live? Like, where is that? And that's because we have not got our heads sanctification, learning, becoming who we already are. Again, this is, we don't, we're not sanctified for God. Uh, so Dane C. Ortland in my quote last week, we're not living for the heart of God. We're living from the heart of God. So I'm not being sanctified to please God. He's pleased with me because of what His Son has done on the cross for us. I've been justified. Hallelujah. But sanctified, sanctified. Uh, that has nothing to do with being approved by God, it has, but it has everything to do with living wisely. It has everything to do with living a life of love that blesses people. It has everything to do with your soul flourishing. It has nothing to do with how forgiven you are. You are completely forgiven. You're completely forgiven. And here's the um, amazing truth, and this is why I'm a pastor, but, but, and again, I pray that you know this truth. Like I'm preaching and I pray you know, you can get as free as you want. You can be as whole as you want. Like that sanctification journey is really up to you. You can go as deep as you want. Some people don't go very deep. They don't work through their brokenness. They don't work through the, 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 the family of origin stuff or that grief moment that really messed you up or that disappointment. People don't work through that stuff and God still loves you. You're still justified. The reality is, though, is that you, you don't live in that peace because you're angst and your, and your bitterness, whatever it may be, right? You can go as deep as you want on that sanctification journey. That's totally, totally up for you. And, and can I just, with everything that I've got, say, Choose to work with Him. Choose to walk with the Spirit. Do that deep work, that inner journey of working through this stuff. Confess your sin. Work through what it, you know. Do that journey, and, and it leads to a life that's flourishing. 
It leads to love, joy. We're going to talk about this as we journey through Galatians. It leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace, not as some theoretical concept, as an experienced reality in your heart and mind. Increasingly, as every year goes past, you live in love and joy and peace because of the sanctifying work of God in your life. Because you've let him into all the rooms of your heart. You've let him in. That's, this is such key doctrine. And many Christians are so a bit muddled about some of this. And they either have way too high expectations, thinking that because you've been declared a new creation, that you're going to act like a new creation. Then you've been, you're a new creation in Christ. You've been justified. Now you've got to learn to be that new creation. And if you've come from a very broken background and, and a, you know, I don't know, then it's going to take a bit longer. Or if you've made lots of really silly choices that have messed up your soul a bit or your mental health a bit, it's going to take a bit longer. It's going to, but, it's, but He's there for you, transforming us from glory to glory. I mean, just there's so many passages. And then lastly, we're glorified with Christ. Uh, and so isn't it interesting we're all living? You know, there's going to be a little dash on our gravestone and our tomb and a little thing, you know, a little plaque, whatever it's going to be. And it's going to be like, I'm 1981. And I'm living in the dash right now, and I do not know what that final year is going to be. All of us are going to have two dates, and all of us are right now living in the dash. How interesting is that, right? When we hit, when we hit, kick the bucket, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading cloud, crown of glory. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We will be glorified. The Bible says he will bring the work to completion. Oh, isn't that awesome? That's why it's all grace. At the end of the day, if you choose not to take a journey of sanctification, you'll still be glorified and be completely perfect one day. What a great deal, right? And then in this process of journeying at the moment through this thing of sanctification, it's all grace as well. It's Him leading us into life. And when we make mistakes, it's all grace. Oh, I love it. This lovely line, uh, I read this from, um, from uh, who's the guy from, um, uh, that we like from New York? Um, no, no, the other guy. Um, Rich Velotis. We're all reading the same stuff. I was like, someone's going to help me here. <laughs> Um, Rich Velotis uh, mentioned this uh, Japanese theologian. Um, he just Rich Velotis, who's a pastor in New York that we respect a lot, uh, had just taken a funeral this week. And he said in, these, uh, in funerals almost every, and I'm going to do this from now on, this is such a great line. He quotes this theologian, uh, Japanese theologian, Kosuyuki uh, Koyama, Koyama. And Koyama imagined Jesus saying this to, to those uh, um, who see him upon their death. Uh, Jesus saying this to people. You've had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. I don't know if Jesus will say that, but Jesus, if you're listening, that's a good line. <laughs> Imagine him saying that to you. After all that, we, all the struggles of life and all the ups and downs we go through and all the pain and all the, all the reality that we have to navigate through, Jesus is standing there. You've had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. He does this begins to, the banquet is ready. What a what a moment. All of us in Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, you'll stand before him glorified. What a great hope we have. And so this is what's in Paul's mind when he talks about the gospel. And this is why I, I want to um, encourage us to, to soak ourselves in these books. It's like my friend commented the other day, we're living in medieval times again where people no longer read. And we just have to hear stuff. 
And that's how we gather information. Guys, soak yourself in Galatians, soak yourself in Philippians, soak yourself in the Gospels, and get this, like know this. No one can make you know this for you. Know this and you'll know it. I've been justified. That sets you free. Even when you make mistakes, you're still free. But, but God's in the process of sanctifying. Work with him. Fight for it. Go to counselling and prayer ministry and, and don't hide your rubbish and work through it all. Sanct- and it'll lead you. He'll be transforming you from glory. I promise you, life gets richer when you let him sanctify you. In all the ways that really matter, life gets richer and then our great hope is we're glorified one day. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray.